0: I love worship. I love to be with God's people, and I love to sing, and I love to see acts of obedience. And uh, and I am grateful uh, to be here and be part of, of what God's doing. You may have seen as you come in today, uh, there's a packet that has this on the front cover, and it is a family devotional. Um, you 've if you 're on our mailing list you 've probably received a, a an email regarding that uh, it 's also on our facebook page it 's on our website that you can pull it up digitally and download it yourself or you can grab one on the way out today but this is a devotional leading up to Easter, actually the week after Easter and it just has short readings for Each day, five days a week, and it begins tomorrow. And what you'll find in the devotional readings is you'll find an element of prophecy regarding what the the text is. And then you'll see from the four accounts of the gospel regarding the same event. And it just allows us to meditate in God's word throughout the week. And then if you're faithful in doing that, you'll find that you're also prepared for the following Sunday in what the message is regarding in that same text. I want to encourage you. Uh, to participate. On the second page of that packet, there are five questions, and these are just starters, that if you're doing this with your children, that uh, you can ask these questions and create a dialogue about what you're hearing in God's Word, what you're seeing in God's Word, and it'll give you a deeper understanding of what's happening uh, as we lead up to our Resurrection Sunday. So I want to encourage you to either download it or to grab one on your way out today so that you can join with us this morning we're in matthew chapter 26 matthew chapter 26 will begin in verse 47 if you remember last week we talked about jesus refusing the flesh The picture is in the garden of Gethsemane and and he goes deeper into the garden and he prays that uh, amazing prayer. God, if there is any other way, but not my will, but yours be done. He refused his flesh in following what God would have him do. So he submitted to the father in the garden. And at the end of, of that passage last week, we saw that Jesus was strengthened in his prayer as he arose to be betrayed. And that's where we pick up today is, is this betrayal that's about to happen. So Matthew chapter 26, verses 47 through 56. While he was still speaking... Do what you came to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, put your sword back into its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father? And he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels. But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? At that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day, I sat in the temple teaching and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled. Jesus, from his time in the garden, refusing the flesh, was prepared to become sin and be separated from his father for the first time in all eternity and on this night in the garden it began with his disciple his friend judas betraying him jesus had never been a physical threat to anyone around him or to the religious leaders but the jewish leaders here obviously showed their fear and concern because they showed up with a mob and depending upon which, transla- or which book you're reading out of, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, uh, the mob came with torches and clubs and swords. Now, I know probably most of y'all haven't watched the old Frankenstein movies, but um, that's how they came after him. Torches, clubs, swords, yelling out to get him and seize him, to arrest him, because they were threatened. Along came Judas, and I find it interesting that the disciples had no clue what was happening, even now. The thing that I I refer to is John chapter 13, when uh, Jesus told the disciples, one of you is going to betray me. Now They were sitting around the table at Passover, and Jesus said, the one who takes the bread with me, When I've dipped it, he's going to be the one. And the disciples were were shocked that this would happen. I mean, they're looking around. they're, They're comrades. They've been through a lot over the last three years. They've walked with Jesus. They've heard Jesus. They've witnessed Jesus and the power that he has. They knew that he was the son of God. They've confessed this, that he is the Messiah. They knew who he was. So to hear that they're going to betray, one of them is going to betray, they're like, who would do that? And then they started asking, oh, is it me? Am I going to betray you? Listen to what Jesus said. This is John 13, beginning with verse 26. It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, what you're going to do, do quickly. Now listen to this. This this tells you how the disciples had no clue what was happening. Now, no one at the table knew why he said this to him. So they've heard him, they've witnessed it, but they had no clue. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast. Or that he would give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out and it was night. The disciples did not connect the words of Jesus and the action of Judas. The one who takes the morsel is the one who betrays me. Judas takes the morsel and he leaves. You would think 1 plus 1 equals 2, but they did not see this. The next time they would see Judas would be in the garden, just now that we, we read. So they have finished the meal, they've sung together, they went out into the garden, and they prayed forever how long that was. And Jesus said, arise, my betrayer has come. And they're standing there, and here comes Judas. And they still have no clue what's happening here. And here's a lesson in humanity. Sometimes the least likely person is the one living in the greatest rebellion. You see, Judas fooled everyone around him, all of his friends. He shocked the religious leaders when he came to them and said, hey, listen, what will you give me if I give him up? But Jesus knew his heart. And listen today. Jesus knows your heart too. He knows exactly where you are. He knows what's going on in your mind. He knows what's going on in your life. Jesus did not invite us to act like we are following him. And Jesus did not tell us or command us to follow him sometimes. Scripture is really clear and it's... It's the difference between black and white. He said to pick up your cross daily and follow me. The cross is not a necklace. It's not the bumper sticker. It's not the Christian t-shirt. It's a symbol of death. And just like you saw on the baptism waters, there's a symbol there when you're baptized that you're dying to yourself. The act of obedience. Jesus said you have to keep doing this. You have to die of yourself so that you can follow me. As you look into the mirror of Scripture, I just want to ask this isn't for you to yell out and answer, but would you answer in your heart? You look in the mirror of Scripture, you look at Judas, are you fooling the people around you? You see, we can do the right things. We can show up to worship and we can sing and we can preach and we can sing and teach and we can get into the water of baptism and we can go to Sunday school and we can be involved in ministry and missions. We can do all those things and fool every person around us because we do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. God did not call us to act like Christians he called us to be Christians, be followers of Jesus Christ. So we can't hear the word of God and then walk away from it. We can't reject the word of God and walk with him. This should challenge each of us. As you look into the mirror, am I living a life that's fooling the people around me? Jesus knows your heart. I pray that you would not refuse the appeal Romans 12, 1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Why did Judas use a kiss to betray Jesus? Was it unusual and the answer is, it really was not unusual at all. It was a common expression when you would come and kiss someone on the cheek. It was a, a sign of respect and honor and brotherly love. The friendly betrayal that happened here was prophesied a thousand years before Judas and Jesus were born. Psalm forty-one nine says... Even my close friend, in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. See, when Judas kissed Jesus on the cheek, it was a a sign of respect and honor. But in his heart, he was betraying Jesus to be murdered. I found it interesting that Judas called Jesus' teacher, rabbi. But what did Jesus call him? Friend. How could he be a friend? He knew the heart of Judas. He knew that Judas was there to betray him over into the hands of the religious leaders to be crucified. He knew this. He called him friend. We see throughout his ministry that he served Judas even though he knew Judas. He washed the feet of Judas even though he knew Judas. He prayed for Judas, even though he knew Judas. You know, he calls you friend too. Wherever you are, he said, friend, come to me. Find peace. Following his betrayal, if we just follow through with with Judas, um, Judas could have repented of that betrayal. And he could have been reconciled to God. And some would argue that Matthew twenty-seven three. if you just want to look at that, it's on the next page probably in your Bible where we were. It says, then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. Some people will look at that verse and say, well, it looks to me like Judas repented that everything's okay with him and really superficially it may look like that because often when we talk about repentance we talk about changing your mind that you you're walking this way and you change your mind changes your direction and now you walk this way this way was toward the world toward death and destruction this way is toward god and life eternal well as i investigated this more clearly because i needed to understand that verse, where, or the phrase, he changed his mind is a Greek word that means to feel sorry or regret. Well, the truth is, you and I often feel sorry or regret when we sin, don't we? That's not repentance. That's feeling sorry that you did something bad. Or your body is paying the price for what you did the night before. That's regret. That's not repentance. The Greek word that's translated as repentance is something entirely different. It's not changing your mind. It's changing one's way of life due to a, listen, complete change of mind regarding righteousness and sin. That means I recognize God is holy and righteous, which which now impacts my life. And I acknowledge that all sin is in rebellion to God. And so when I recognize that completely with my attitude and my thought, it changes my life. That's repentance. I know we simplify it by saying, okay, you're walking this way, you stop, you turn around, you walk the other way. We simplify it that way or we simplify it by saying you just change your mind. You're going this way, you're going to change your mind, go another way. But it's much more than that. It's a a change of life because of a complete change of mind. And only God does that by the truth of his word, by the spirit of God. So God does not say regret and be baptized. He doesn't say feel sorry and be baptized. He says repent and be baptized. Repent for salvation not try to do better for salvation. Judas regretted his actions. He returned his coins, but there is no evidence that he repented over that sin. Could he have? He could have and it not be recorded. That's possible. But based on what we have, there is no evidence that he repented. I would ask you this morning also, have you repented of your sins or do you just regret your sins? Are, are there any sins in your life right now? And we did this Wednesday night in, in Bible study. We all raised our hands because we are all sinners. We all had sin this week and this day even. We know that we sin. What do you do with the sin in your life? Do you let it build up until it's just too much and you have to do something about it? Or you take care of it right now when you acknowledge that you've sinned? Now sin is any action or thought, even an attitude or speech that goes against God that's displeasing to him that's called sin and there's penalties that go along with those sins and there's consequences that follow those sins so are you repenting of your sins or you just regret them in verse 50 after the kiss the mob seized jesus and and i have to smile just a little bit here Because that's at least what they thought they were doing. They thought they were seizing Jesus. But the truth is, you don't arrest God unless God's will is to be arrested. And that's what was happening here. John's account of the same event has a notable point. And I think it's important that we hear it. So I just want to refer to that. That when the mob entered the garden... Jesus said, who are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And that's exactly how I read it. But listen, just to put it in the the situation, think of it this way. You have a mob... A mob of people, and it's a large group of people who have been riled up that they're after one person, and they're coming into the garden at night with torches, with clubs, and with swords to arrest the one. And Jesus said, Who are you looking for? Do you think they said, Why, we're searching for Jesus of Nazareth. Do you know where he is by chance? No. They would have been yelling. Just as they did when they said, give us Barabbas. They would have been yelling, Jesus of Nazareth, that's who we're after. Where is he? And I love this. Jesus responded, I am he. And at his word, the entire mob retreated and fell to the ground. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that a beautiful picture of the power of God? That at the word of God, God identified who he was as the I am and the people around him were compelled to retreat from God and fall before him, even though they were after him. That's the power of God. When we talk about the power of salvation, it's not in the person who is speaking. It's not in the song that has been sung. It's not how well you can speak the John 3.16 or any of the Romans road. It's the power of the word of God. That's how we're saved. Not by any person. We can only point people to the truth of God's word. God saves people through his word. And we see the power of his word in the garden there. We know from John's account that it was Peter, was the one that lifted the sword and cut the ear off of the the servant. And I wonder, it doesn't say this, but I do wonder, because he had just heard hours before that he was going to fall away. And he was going to deny Jesus three times. Was this his attempt to say, not me. I'm here to defend you, Jesus. I'm here to the end. And he reaches in and he cuts the ear off of the servant trying to take Jesus. Well, Jesus stopped him. And in verse 53, a powerful question Jesus asked. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father? And he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels, 12 armies of angels. What would be the cost of Jesus appealing to the father and being spared the cross? The cost, all humanity, past, present, and future would be destined to eternal separation from God, where there's only weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's a great cost. And Jesus has already dealt with that cost. He did that in the garden as he prayed. So here, Jesus would refuse the appeal. Could I call on God to send me rescue, to spare me? Absolutely. I could appeal to Him. But He did not because the cost was too great. When I consider God's plan to personally suffer on our behalf, to become sin, to give his life on the cross at Calvary, to overcome death three days later so that we can be forgiven, so that we can be reconciled to God, my heart grows heavy. And you might think, well, well, Steve, Isn't that a reason for joy? Absolutely, it's a reason for joy. But after Jesus refused the appeal, and after he finished the work of God on the cross on our behalf, there's still some today who refuse. They're still choosing to be eternally separated from God, where there's only weeping and gnashing of teeth. After all that God has done on our behalf. After the fullest expression of love. And there might be some in here this morning. You might be here this morning. You're still refusing the invitation of God for eternal life with him. Choosing weeping and gnashing of teeth. To be clear, there is not a scale of good and evil. You don't get to walk up to the gates of heaven when you end your life here. And, and God looks at this scale and says, well, if the good outweighs the bad, you're welcome. That's what we would hope. And that's what some people hope. That's their crossed fingers. I hope there's enough in there to get me in. But listen, there is no scale. But even if there were, he still has to punish the bad. It doesn't matter if there's any good in there. And we're told that there's None. We don't have any goodness in and of ourselves. We really are in a helpless situation, and that's not to beat you down, but that is to say that God has made a way for you to be spared what we're destined for. The Bible says we all fall short of God's glory. And despite what you may hear or think, God never sends anyone to eternal separation in hell. He never does that. What what he does do is he takes people like you and me who have already fallen short of the glory of God. We are already destined for eternal separation. That is the end. It's destruction. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. And, And that happens because of our sinful nature and because of our rebellion against God. What he does do is he offers you and me the only way to escape what we're already destined for. And he does that through Jesus Christ. His work on our behalf, on the cross, dying for our sin, becoming our sin, that he might make full payment for us and receive the full wrath of God, reconciling those who believe in him to eternal life in Jesus Christ. It's your choice. I can't convince you, your spouse, your friend, your neighbor, your coworker, your your friends at school. No one can convince you of this. We can plead with you. We can appeal with you, but we can't convince you. It's your choice. Some months ago, we, we talked about uh, witnessing tracks. This is called Steps to Peace with God. It's written by Billy Graham. You'll find them throughout the church. It's a wonderful tool. And I can honestly say, and you could say it too if you're a Christian, that the, the information in this has changed my life. So we already know where we are, where we're destined for without Jesus Christ. And I just want to read a portion of this to you Is how do we respond? What, what is that? What's the response? And in the booklet, it says this: We must trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and receive Him by personal invitation. Well, I, I felt a need to clarify something here. See, at the end of the service, if you if you make it to the end, <laughs> I usually come down here to the front and uh, and I will invite you. It's called an invitation. I invite you to respond to the Word of God. And then we'll sing a song and you can come or not. But that's not the invitation this is referring to. It says to trust Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior, and receive him by personal invitation. That personal invitation is from God. If God is stirring in your spirit, that's the time to respond because it's his invitation to you. So you respond to him. It says, if you confess, this is Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That sounds pretty simple. So is that all I have to do? I just have to believe it and say it? Is that all I have to do? Well, how do you do that? The next page says, here's how you can receive Christ. First of all, you have to admit that you have a need. I need a Savior. I am destined to eternal hell, and I want to be with God. I want to be reconciled to God. So I admit, I'm a sinner. Second thing is be willing to turn from your sins. Repent and ask for God's forgiveness. Third, believe that Jesus Christ died for you on the cross and rose from the grave. And then through prayer, in your response to God's invitation, you invite Jesus Christ to come in and control Your life. He's going to be the boss. That's what we call Lord. He's going to be the boss of your life through the Holy Spirit. And then we have these words of assurance. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Romans 10, 13. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works. Lest anyone should boast. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It's a simple invitation. And it's an invitation that comes from God to you, and you either respond to it or you don't. If you don't respond to the invitation of God, you're still destined to an eternal hell, no matter how good of a life you're living today. We have a way of comparing ourselves to the person next to us, to the people in newspapers, people on the Internet, and we say, well, I'm doing pretty good. And you may be compared to other people, but when you compare yourself to the holiness of God, Every one of us have fallen short, and we need a Savior. Jesus Christ is the only answer. Your life and destiny can be changed this morning if you respond to the invitation of God this morning. It's that easy. In verse 55, Jesus poses a legitimate question toward the mob. So they've come after him, they're yelling at him, they want to take him, they want to kill him. I am he. They retreat, they fall down. Now they're back up. And Jesus asks, why are you being hostile toward me? And in other words, who are you listening to? Who are you listening to and what are you believing about me? We know that the Jewish leaders knew that Jesus was from God. John chapter 3 shows us that. They knew that he was from God, his teaching was from God, his miracles were from God. But why, why would they incite the crowd to come after him, to arrest him, to kill him? And the answer is pretty clear that they were threatened by Jesus. See, at this time, they were everything that they have worked for, everything that they have achieved, their status, their um, their place in, in the community, where they were highly respected. All that Jesus has declared is insufficient, and so the only thing that they could do is kill Jesus if they wanted to maintain control and power in the community. So they turned the people against him. These would be the same people that yelled, Hosanna, Messiah, the king is here. Those same people are the ones after him right now with the torches. More importantly, as we come to the end of this passage, Jesus said, all this must take place. In fulfillment of Scripture, he was allowing it all to happen because it must happen for him to be taken, arrested, and crucified for you and for me. The arrest in the garden at Passover was God's divine timetable for Christ's ultimate display of obedience and for our redemption. Verse 56 says all the disciples abandoned Jesus and fled just like Jesus said they were going to do Jesus was betrayed and abandoned by his closest friends that next day he would be forsaken by God the Father it was a monumental task For God the flesh to become sin for our sake. And he did it alone. There was no one there to support him. To encourage him. To help him along the way. All that he had was the strength of the Holy Spirit that he received in the garden through prayer. How serious do we take prayer? We wonder why we, we walk around defeated. I think if we look at our prayer life and our time in God's word, it probably answers the question why we feel so defeated. Because we're not being strengthened by the Holy Spirit as we spend time with him. To sum up everything that we've said here, Jesus loves you. Jesus Died for you. He wants you to experience the fullness of life. Not a life of defeat. Not a life that's destined toward destruction. He wants you to experience him to be reconciled. There's going to be a day when it's too late. Some call this the deathbed confession I'll just wait till it's my time and then I'll make a confession and surrender my life to Jesus and I'll go to heaven. Now that would work out really great if you knew when that was going to happen. Some of you all know my daughter-in-law passed away on October 19th. A head-on collision. Guarantee that morning she didn't wake up saying this is probably my last day. But I am thankful that she lived for the Lord every day. That she knew and that we knew. Because now we know, behind a shadow of a doubt, and that brings us comfort today, that she is with her Savior, that she lived for. You don't know if you're going to make it home today. And if you've not made a decision to respond to God's invitation in your life, I don't know why you would wait. The choice is this. I continue my same road toward eternal destruction, separation from God, where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Or I receive the invitation of God and receive Jesus Christ as my Lord who will save me. It's a simple invitation. We don't have to complicate it. But what do do I need to clean myself up? Do I need to get my life right before I come to Jesus? No, no, you can't. We can't clean ourselves up enough. We can't stop doing enough bad things that God would say, yeah, you can come now. He says, come just as you are. And we trust our lives to him and he will make the changes that needs to be made in our lives. You can seek him this morning while he can be found. Oh, for the wonderful love he has promised. Promised for you and for me. Though we have sinned, He has mercy and pardoned, pardon for you and for me. Come home, come home, ye who are weary, come home. Earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling. He's calling old sinner, come home. Come this morning and confess Jesus Christ as Lord. Come this morning and repent of the sin in your life. Come this morning and obey what the Lord has placed on your heart. Say yes. It's a simple invitation. Let me pray for you as Ryan and Mike come to lead us. This is your invitation this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for meeting with us. We thank you for the power of your word, the truth of your word, the unchanging nature that you represent. Lord, that we know that we can turn to you and we can be changed by you, that you offer us the only way to escape what we have created for ourselves through our rebellion and our sin, that you have offered to forgive us. Jesus Christ to be reconciled to you for eternity Lord I pray that as we enter into this time of singing and responding to you that you speak to us and how we need to respond right now and may we be obedient in doing that for your glory in Jesus name I pray amen